Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, our second reading for this third Sunday of Advent is taken from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, and it always takes my breath away. You know, first of all, as I mentioned a couple times to you before, I think the uh, first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians is the earliest Christian text we have, written sometime around the year 50. I mean, maybe Paul wrote other letters that were lost, but this is the earliest one we've got. So think of think of all of Christian literature from this time until, you know, yesterday. This is the first text we have. And so it's of extraordinary importance and interest, I think. Um, what we're reading from today is the very end of the letter. So Paul's summary statement. And here's what he says in this, in this massively important early text. He tells the little Christian community, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In all circumstances, give thanks. Now, St. Paul is not exactly known for his measured and moderate statements. You know, he's one of these people that tends to go over the top. He says things very strongly. But, you know, even for Paul, these statements are extraordinary. I mean, look, I, I'd understand it well enough if he had said, hey, you know, cheer up. Things aren't so bad. Or if he said, increase the time that you spend in prayer. Or if he had said, now remember, from time to time, give thanks to God for all his benefits. But that's not what he says. That would be sort of common sense. He says, always, and without ceasing, and in all circumstances. And again, you say, well, isn't that maybe just a little bit over the top? Now, here's what we got to see. And this is why it's important as an Advent reading. We have to see that for Paul, the coming of Jesus changed everything. And see, if you don't get that, you're not really getting Christmas. You're not getting Christianity. You know, if, if Jesus is one more teacher among many, then you say, oh, yeah, he's interesting. And, you know, but... He, he wouldn't change everything. But that's exactly what Paul and the first Christians saw. That his dying and rising turned everything upside down. So that the usual ways of thinking and acting are just no longer valid. Grace has so transfigured nature that everything's different. And these three recommendations, I think, are signs of this transfiguration. Okay, so let's look at them in turn, these three recommendations of St. Paul. 
First of all, he says, rejoice always. Now, again, it would appear as though the balanced, realistic person would would rejoice sometimes. Uh, He'd rejoice when it's appropriate. But that, you know, he'd also weep and feel down when that emotion was called for. I mean, let's be blunt about it. Wouldn't rejoicing always seem just a little bit insane? My mother's just died. Oh, rejoice. My house is just burned to the ground. I've lost everything. Oh, wonderful. Rejoice. Okay, so what does Paul mean and what doesn't he mean? Well, I don't think he means by this that we should be on an emotional high all the time. You know, that suggestion would indeed be insane. You know, always be in a kind of giddy, giddy state of, of exaltation. Here's what I think he's suggesting, everybody. That the resurrection of Jesus signals that a victory of universal significance has been won. A victory so powerful and so complete that no negativity that the world could throw at us could ever undo it or render it nugatory. Does that make sense? There's a, there's a victory in the, in the dying and rising of Jesus, so complete, so powerful, that nothing that the world can throw at us could ever undo it. And so even even as I'm feeling depressed about something or I'm feeling down about it, okay, that's normal. That's just a natural psychological reaction. But even in all of that, I'm convinced that a victory has been won. And at that level, I feel joy always. Neither defeat nor sickness nor failure, nor sin, nor death itself could ever overcome what Jesus has accomplished through his dying and rising. And therefore, there's always ground for hope. There's always cause for joy. Now, Paul himself, in his great letter to the Romans, puts it in that memorable prose. I am certain that neither death nor life neither angels nor principalities, neither height nor depth nor any other creature could ever separate us from the love of God. Height nor depth. He's not denying that there are depths, that there are low points. Neither neither life nor death. He's not denying that there's death. But see, none of that, the highs and the lows, can separate us from the love of God. And it's on that basis that, indeed, we rejoice always. That's why you see it, don't you, in the lives of the saints, often who are enduring the worst kind of suffering and yet have this sense of peace. See, maybe that's that's a word that is easier for us to take in because rejoice sounds like I'm always going to a party, but that there's a peace, there's a peace that abides even through the worst of life. And I have that in Christ. Okay. How about the second recommendation? Paul says, pray without 
ceasing. And you say, well, okay, again, how could one even do this? You know, even even Trappist and Carthusian monks, the most serious prayers on the planet, even, even they take a break occasionally from prayer. I mean, they eat and they sleep and they work in their gardens and farms, etc. I mean, so if, if even a full-time monk can't pray every minute, how are we expected to? All right. Think of the difference again that Christ Jesus has made. By his incarnation, which we're going to celebrate at Christmas, he's made it possible for all people to participate in the relationship he has with his Father. It's a very important point, Christians. I think we overlook it too often. See, from all eternity, the Son lives in intimate union with his Father. And that union, by the way, is called the Holy Spirit. The Father and Son from all eternity, in their, in their intimate love for each other, give rise to the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the divine life, this play of three persons. By becoming human, the Son takes to himself our fallen humanity. And then this is the breathtaking thing, gives us access to the same relationship that he's had from all eternity. See, everything is going to turn on this. Everything hinges on this. If he's one more spiritual teacher among many, who cares? But he's the eternal son of God who enjoys this intimate relationship with the father. By becoming human, he gives even us fallen human beings, access to that same relationship. See, in this sense, everybody who's been grafted onto Christ through baptism is a sharer in the divine life. And this means that our lives are a constant communion with the Father even when we're not explicitly aware of that communion. Make sense? Think of, think of your own breathing for a second. We're dependent every moment, aren't we, on the oxygen that we're breathing. But, but how often do we become explicitly aware of our breathing? <laughs> Very rarely in the course of a day. And yet every minute, every second, we're dependent upon it. See, What's prayer in the ordinary sense of the term, but our becoming conscious in an explicit way of what always is in fact taking place, which is this relationship that we have in the Son with the Father. And in that way, Paul is right. Pray always. Pray without ceasing. Meaning, at the depth of our being, we are in this communion with the Father through the Son. Okay? And finally, the third recommendation. Paul says, in all circumstances, give thanks. Again, thankfulness when things are going well, which certainly seems called for. You know, we, we gather for Thanksgiving dinner. We tend not to recall the terrible things that happened to us. We think of all the good things for which we should be grateful. And so isn't it 
again, a little much, a little weird that he's asking us to be thankful for setbacks and failures and sickness and the death of loved ones. You know, as I'm recording these words, the, the people of my pastoral region are going through a terrible ordeal. Wildfires have been sweeping through Ventura County, Santa Barbara County, all the parishes that I'm, I'm uh, concerned with. Many have been robbed of, of homes and possessions. Well, should I expect them to be thankful for that? I mean, give thanks in all circumstances? Again now, remember what's changed with the coming of Christ. Jesus entered into our humanity, experiencing every aspect of it except for sin. Therefore, sickness, disappointment, failure, rejection, anxiety, terrible suffering, death itself, the Son of God experiences them. And by touching all of these with his divinity, he transformed them, making them in principle a means of sanctification. By his stripes you were healed. By the sacred cross we are saved. See, therefore, we who participate in Christ see the world differently, not just as a dreadful play of good and evil, but a place where grace is always and everywhere on offer. And so, yes, even for the worst things that you've endured, even for the most terrible moment, give thanks because they have been transfigured by Christ into a means of salvation. So rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in all circumstances, give thanks. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.